Welcome to Sundays with Stories, a podcast brought to you by the Life Process Program, which is an addiction-related program. We might call it self-actualization program centered on addiction. We use therapeutic techniques like cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, and it was created by Dr. Stanton Beal, who we will talk to today. To visit the Life Process Program free resources or to sign up for our courses, go to lifeprocessprogram.com. Stanton, good to be with you. Great to see you, Zach. We've uh, done previous podcasts on uh, destructive love, which we deal with in LPP as love addiction. Um, We did one specifically on Dirty John Meehan and Betty Broderick. There was two Dirty John podcasts on um, Netflix. Both of them ended in the death. So our argument was, you know, somebody ends up dead, you're dealing with a pretty serious involvement. Meehan ended up dead himself, and Betty Broderick killed her former husband and his new wife. We then discussed the Tinder Swindler, which was another top 10 podcast um, streaming um, series. Nobody ended up dead there. But a series of women were swindled by kind of an attractive, manipulative uh, swindler who met them online and, you know, embezzled money from them. By the way, uh, I think the latest news is he's back online. He spent some time in prison Mm -hmm. on some kind of passport thing. He's Israeli. Um, And... This topic, so, you know, I, I'm, I was intimately familiar with um, the Dirty John podcast uh, series. There was a podcast. Um, the original series was just a series of LA Times articles. I've gone all, over all of them several times. And you expressed, the, uh, you were impressed with my dutiful research. Somebody might say, Stan, what the hell are you doing with your time <laughs> becoming an expert in Dirty John Meehan? And then I watched all of the Tinder Swindler, and I currently am reading a novel. Again, somebody's going to say, Stanton, do you have too much time on your hand? Called The Verifiers by a woman named Jane Peck. And it's kind of a hard-boiled detective story along the lines of, you know, there was a kind of a 40s, and 50s kind of series of hard-boiled detectives. Raymond Chandler would write them. And, you know, they had snappy dialogue. And, you know, they investigated kind of film noir-type crimes, usually in L.A. Um, Jane Peck is a kind of modern version of that. She's a kind of an internet sleuth. And there's a company whose job it is to investigate the identities of men, usually, I guess always are the examples I've seen so far, who women encounter online. That's a thing. So let's just say this is a big topic. Can I ask you, just before you go into the the main topic for today, I have three quick questions for you. Um, Is this a good time? Sure. Okay. I know these questions have been asked of you before. I've heard you respond to them and hopefully you can do so here. Um, 
based on the topics we've been discussing, primarily addiction's not a disease. And not only is it not a disease, but it follows the same process as any other standard sort of track a person could be on, including relationships and love. So first of all, by the way, I just watched your lecture to the Portland Hotel Society. One person asked, all right, so what does this have to do with us and helping people who are using drugs? So what, what if I agree addiction is not a disease? What's that have to do with anything? The second question would be, or the second question to you was, um, how do, who cares if love is addictive? How does that help? How is that practical? And, you know, aren't you getting too far afield? And third, you talk about all these horrible consequences that come as a result of loving like relationships. How do you know that love was the thing that made people do this? Well, let me answer the second question. When I, I, I was on the board, kind of an advisory board member for Above and Beyond, which is an inner city Chicago program for an, a largely homeless population, largely minority, who generally had a heroin addiction problem. And I would do a little workshop on love addiction. The clients were very enthusiastic. They all knew what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And if you go way back to Norman Zinberg did a, uh, with David Lewis, did a series of things on heroin addicts and women in particular, there was an MO. Women in particular became uh, involved or addicted to drugs in most possibly nearly all cases hmm. as a result of a love relationship. They tended not to become at least this was way back in the 60s, originators of the drug connection, they got into that with their boyfriend. Getting back to Chicago and above and beyond, people would say, well, you know, the drugs are an intimate part of my addiction, both in terms of the, my lover or when I broke up with my lover, you know, my need to be in a drug addicted state or to, to attach myself to a drug. So, a group of people who's very familiar with the relationship between relationships and addiction are those people who are involved in addictions. And when we talk about the four pillars of recovery, intimacy and in relationships is one of them. But the purpose of this series of podcasts <clears throat> and today's in, in, in addition are one to talk about the serious consequences. You, Dirty John Meehan died and Betty Broderick killed her ex-husband. Gosh, those are serious outcomes. Um, we're going to talk about other serious outcomes and people might say, <clears throat> how common are these? And part of this whole episode is to say, they're all over the internet. I mean, I didn't, you were a little surprised when I said, well, there are two streaming series that are about, you know, love addiction and death, love addiction, Dirty John, and then people who give up hundreds of thousands of dollars to a swindler. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. Here's another example. There's a podcast series called This Is Love. Episode 42 is The Brain in Love. Dessa spent the better part of two decades in love with the same person. 
They'd broken up and gotten back together over and over again. And even once they were broken up for good, she couldn't give up hope that they still had a future. What does that sound like to you, Zach? I mean, I realize you're prejudiced, biased, not prejudiced against any group. What does that sound like to you? Can you imagine uh, clutching something despite deterioration that is bringing you and and thinking, well, maybe there's still a shot. After all, it's the devil I know. And that sounds like addiction to me. And the funny thing is, you and I have had this comment. <clears throat> My uncle Ozzy, when he became who I write about all the time, gave up smoking at the age of 42. And then at the age of at his 90th birthday party, I asked him about a smoking addiction. He wasn't as sharp as he used to be. He said, did I used to smoke? <laughs> And when I ask you about your heroin addiction today, it's not high on your list of worries and concerns. Yeah, right. Um, people get over drug addictions. Um, Dessa has never gotten over her love addiction. She says she felt kind of stuck. And the title of the podcast is The Brain in Love. Why do you think they title it The Brain in Love? Where, where do you think they're going with that title? God, it sounds awful neuroscience-y to me. They're it's trying to think, oh, it's a real thing because it's, a, it's in your brain. You take a picture of it, yeah. Yeah. As though, although, <clears throat> you know, I wrote an article for Reason Magazine, DSM-5 declined to list love and sex addiction. So there's that whole debate. Um but now I'm going to turn as an illustration, not only to what addiction is like in a relationship, but how misunderstanding it by the media and psychology propagates the pain. So this is going to be pretty heavy. Zach, you better hold on to your seat. It's called Sweet Bobby. That's on Tortoise Podcasts. And the title is, How Well Do You Know the One You Love? That's the subtitle. And that's going to turn out to be a very funny, crazy subtitle. John Meehan had a relationship with a woman. Mm -hmm. It was a problematic relationship. Betty Broderick was married to her husband for, I don't know, a dozen or more years and had three children. Those were real relationships. And they ended in deaths. Um, in the Tindler's, Tinder swindles, they did actually meet him at some point, briefly, and sleep with him. Um, Sweet Bobby is about a relationship with an outwardly attractive, intelligent woman where she wasn't in a relationship with an actual real person. Do, do you know what do you do you know what the term catfish means? Catfishing, yeah. A variety of things, but for the most part, it means you're giving a fake biography of yourself. You're engaging in uh, pretending to be interested in a person when you're not, and often you're not even the real person that you say that you are on the other end. That's pretty thorough. I didn't I, that's good. But there's one further extension, which is there's not actually this person. 
Mm-hmm. So you give a false, oh, John Meehan said he was like a anesthesiologist. He wasn't. He said he was in the army and he was a special war. And he, you know, he made himself up, but he was actually a person that you could have a relationship with. So in this, this is what this Sweet Bobby is about a woman who sacrifices her life, 10 years of her life. And she's still enmeshed in a relationship to a person who only existed online. And the person who created this, I don't, the word's not swindle, they mention that she got some money from them, but the person who did this is well off, better off than the victim. Mm. And the swindler, that's the wrong word, the catfisher, is actually the victim's female cousin who is imitating a real person. There is a real person named Bobby who was the brother of her ex-boyfriend, the swindler's ex-boyfriend. And the podcaster and the experts are totally unable to come to grips with the woman's situation. And in fact, I'm going to make a rather drastic argument today. I, I believe that the program perpetuates the victim, whose name happens to be Kirat Asi, the abuse that she suffered. Um, And I'll just jump to the end. She's at age 30. She lives with her parents. And she doubts whether she questions whether she can ever have a relationship. She's been involved for 10 years. The person she never actually knew who she that person was. Mm. And she doesn't know that she can have a relationship for the rest of her life. Wow. You know, you had a heroin addiction. How many years were you addicted to heroin? I don't actually remember. I have years. Ten years, maybe. Um, no, maybe right, you're like 36 now. So, you know, life has progressed. This is a woman who devoted 10 years to an addiction to a non-existent entity. And she doesn't know. And she lost her friends and her family and her job. And she doesn't know if she'll ever have a relationship. Wow. So I've always, from the start, I've always had to argue. Oh, people go, oh, love addiction. <laughs> love addiction is the worst addiction. So I'm just going to identify the primary characters. It's, it's a story. It's so comp. I listened to the entire podcast. Again, I know what you're thinking. Stan, do you have a little too much time on your hand? Listening to. Uh, I'm glad you do. I'm ready. Bobby. Well, I take this serious. Nothing inspires my thinking more than imagining how a human, a smart human being, can have a relationship that destroys her life with a non-existent entity. If that's not addiction and psychology, what is it? Mm. <clears throat> so the primary characters are Kirat Asi, Alexi Mastros. Simran, Bogle, and Bobby. Now I'm going to have to. There's an there's an ethnic issue here that I'm going to have to identify. If you go back to uh, this is love episode 42, Dessa spent the better part of two decades in love with the same person. Dessa may be um, a subcontinent Asian. Um, 
but I know that Kirat Asi and our cousin Simran Bogol and Bobby, I know uh, they're part of the West London Sikh community. Sikh is a ethnic religious group in India, minority there, very proud group. And she Asi had a Punjab radio program. She's now 29. And who contacted her was Simran Bogle. I believe these are the real names. <clears throat> she had a boyfriend named JJ who dies. Throughout this story, there's a million medical parts to it. And uh, Kirat was sorry that she wasn't there for the funeral. And so Bogle tells Karat to contact JJ's brother, Bobby. Bobby is a real human being. However, Bobby has no idea. His identity is stolen, it turns out, by Boogle. So for five years after Kirat contacts Bobby, they interact intensely on the internet without meeting and Kirat decides that she's fallen in love with Bobby and considers herself in a real relationship. So let me just stop there. How do you react to the idea that a person is in love with somebody that they've never met? Yeah, that sounds like desperation. I mean, that sounds like a core belief about themselves that there isn't a standard way to achieve something like love. So they have to go to great lengths or make shortcuts. Although it's not a short shortcut. And eventually yeah, it's, it's, it's a long cut. It's a shortcut and it avoids certain things. I mean, off the top of your head, this isn't an X-rated podcast. What does it avoid? Intimacy. Word intimacy comes up, and for in the podcast itself. So the podcaster is a man named. Um, he's one of the main characters, Alexi Mastros. I don't think he's Asian. Uh, uh, forgive me, he looks like a regular white guy. Uh, he queries her about because you sort of wonder. Well, how are you in a love relationship with somebody you've never been intimate with? And they just dance around it. Perhaps they had virtual sex, but naturally, I think it's important to identify that these people are part of the Asian community. Her parents are, they don't believe in premarital sex. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. What runs through your head when somebody has an intimate relationship and falls in love with somebody they've never been in physical contact with? Well, you're talking about avoiding certain aspects of relationships. <clears throat> and, you know, for one of them, you're avoiding intimacy. So but you're, you're, you're avoiding possible shortcomings of intimacy, things that you might be subconscious, uh, subconscious self-conscious about. You're avoiding no, all of the complications of a relationship. Complications. Together. But, you know, 
sex is pretty high up there. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have an intimate relationship. Or at least being in the same room together, you know. You're going to go that route. I, so I'm going to ask. So then for some reason, they drop out of touch. And then by accident, Kirat runs into the actual Bobby at some kind of a party. Now, Bobby's identity has been taken. So Kirat goes up to him and sort of says, huh, what up, you know? We've had this intimate online relationship. And then you sort of disappeared. How does the real Bobby react? Just get away from me. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Not that's funny. And he's with his wife. Ooh. Yeah, that's not good. And so her, she has to create a fantasy. And one fantasy is, well, he couldn't acknowledge. Because, you know, the real Bobby would say, oh, hello. And Kira's going, well, yeah, but, but and what are I all about it? And Bobby's going, huh? And Kira is thinking, has my intimate lover forgotten me? But, of course, Bobby doesn't know the whole backstory. He hasn't forgotten anything. He's sort of this person he maybe knows vaguely, and he's going, um, what's this going on here? And he says, nice to see you, you know, and he's, you know, he yeah, gets rid of her. So she's already, since she has never even seen this person in person until now, and she thinks and she's had a lot of occasionally seen him at a distance. She knew who he was. Okay. She thought she was having a relationship with him. Right, right. She was but, having a relationship. But she's never had to, she's been able to create a fantasy already about what this relationship is. And she they could fill a gap. This other woman has been tell, feeding her. So it's not, so it's nothing too much extra to, to perpetuate the fantasy and say, aha, now I, I know what's going on. He can't, he can't be above board. His wife's around. So I get what's happening here. Okay. But would an ordinary person say, huh, I'm in a relationship and I'm in a relationship with a person who sort of doesn't seem to know who I am, you know, knows me from around town. Yeah, yeah, I'm on your side. <laughs> but if that, if that person really believed that they were in something that they called love, that they might not. They might right. be she has to backfill the story. Now, throughout the interview, Alexi is the interviewer. He makes utterances like this. The next part of the story is unbelievable. And that's an example of an unbelievable story. You're saying, well, how does an intelligent woman run into her lover and he barely knows her? Mm. What's he act, what is Alexi actually saying when he says, well, the next part of the story is unbelievable? What's he really saying? And why can't he ever actually ask the question, why did you do this and why were you? Why can't he never ask that question due mm. to modern psychology and modern sensibilities? We encountered a case like this in life process program. How would we deal with it? If Kirat came in and said, oh, I had a relationship. We're not even done. The relationship more intense. Uh, yeah, okay. The imaginary... Bobby demands more and more of her, hangs up on her. 
um, makes her give up all of her other relationships, becomes jealous of her, and she retracts more and more in her life. She becomes sickly looking. <clears throat> if that person came to us as a client, how would we approach that? I think I was confused by your question by who who is asking whom, but I think I understand now. I think that, so. You wouldn't want to say, hey, how could you be so stupid? Or something, or anything to that effect. Obviously, no one would say that, but you wouldn't want to say anything that would give that message to that person. Or especially if you're doing a podcast, you wouldn't want to say something that outwardly expresses that. But as a clinician, any clinician worth his salt or her salt would want to get to the bottom of that question so that that person could understand for themselves why they may have taken those steps and why they may be involved in such a thing. That's With the purpose that she's now 30 and living at home, and she doubts whether she can have another. Our job would be to help to clear her, just like that, that love cast where the woman's still dealing with the relationships that broke up. At least she had a relationship. Mm. Because we want our client to be a whole human being that can live an actual life. There could be all, all sorts of suggestions that might rattle around in people's heads right now. I think we talked about this recently. You can have as many suggestions as you want. I mean, you could you could list the reasons why she shouldn't have done this or the re- things that she needs to do. But ultimately, it needs to be something that she understands that actually makes sense to her in her realm of life. So it has to come from her. Yes. <clears throat> we want to arm her. I mean, we don't even... I mean. We don't want to get into psychological insecurities and, you know, the discontinuity of coming from an immigrant community. Only much we only want to get into that as much as she needs to live a life in the here and now. Mm. Her parents, they're married. They dealt with, you know, that um, reality. That reality isn't her reality. And she's living in West London. <clears throat> and that's where her real life and relationships are going to be. And our job is to prepare for that. So here are the two thrusts. She constantly, so she regains a relationship with Bobby. And it becomes more and more intense. They spend more and more time on the phone. She gives up more and more of her life. Bobby demands more and more of her, hangs up on her. Bobby frequently gets really ill. And through these next five years, they still never actually are in the same room. And once again, at the risk of blaming the victim, you say, you've had a relationship for 10 years with a person that you've never been in the same room with? And of course, Bobby has a million Oh, I'm going to come. Oh, I just have a business trip. Oh, and then I have a heart attack and a stroke. She's totally, Bobby imitator is always constantly getting ill. And plus she's in a witness protection program. You know, I can imagine a great interviewer saying something like, this must have been horrible for you. I can only imagine, I mean, 10 years with this and you're sort of, you, you sort of keep the end of the story. What was going on in your mind? I could imagine her at really saying that. A good interview interviewer saying that. So I'm surprised it didn't go there. I mean, and obviously in LPP, you would, you would do that. 
you would say, you know, I'm not here to accuse you. Like you, you already said this. Your job's not to make the feel the client dumb or what her lacks are. That's not what your job is. Your job is to have her sort through her emotions and thinking to prepare her to face life here on earth or West London, as the case may be. And so until the end of the program, what she's seeking is, she finds out who the perpetrator is, an apology. That's what she wants. Uh, And so she actually brings a legal case and her lawyers, the perpetrator's lawyers, offer a small amount of money and an apology, which the catfisher writes, and all those apologies stink. She's not allowed to show it to hardly anybody. And so the victim rewrites the apology. What is that? How does that sound to you? She's been contrived. And, and, it, and it sounds like something that's not going to help her ultimately. I would want an apology too. But I would, I would want to reflect and do more than that for myself. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, focusing on the apology for me is like that first case in the love stories. It's perpetuating the addiction. Yeah. <clears throat> because what's the answer going to be? I mean... By the way, they consult a psychological expert, and forgive me if I become sardonic here. He's a psychologist from Glasgow, the University of Glasgow. No, not, is it Glasgow? What's the other big city in, I'm sorry, the other, Edinburgh is the big uh, school in Scotland. Forgive me. He sounded like, you know, there used to be, uh, Bonnie Python used to do an upper class Twitter of the Year award. And the psychologist goes, (laughs) the perpetrator obviously had great emotional intelligence. Um, And, you know, um, but lacked empathy. And she, you know, throws out a lot of terms that can't even come to the most commonsensical understanding of either of their motivations but doesn't even as a psychologist say, well, you know, Alexi, the interviewer, wants to know the catfisher's motives. Mm -hmm. But you don't know, the the catfisher hardly appears in this story. You spend, he spends hours and hours with the victim. So in a way he's like a clinician. He, it's sort of like, you know, you could have, the, the catfisher could come to you as a client. And you could explore those questions. But, you know, the person that's coming to you is the person that's coming to you. It's sort of like if you dealt with somebody who was addicted to heroin, you could wonder about the person that sells them the heroin, but, you know, who gives a fuck? They're not your client, and they're people who sell heroin, and they do that. And the perpetrator, by the way, the perpetrator is herself a highly successful business person in the financial area, I believe they use her real name. After, the, I think the podcast originally started appearing, 
she got a giant promotion. And part of the whole story is the whole community has a hard time coming to grips with Kirat's sort of going, what's the story you're telling me? You had a relationship for 10 years with the person? And even though they're in a community that's, I, I think, the older generation, very sexually conservative, you're sort of saying, I mean, don't you have to have, let me see, somebody you're in a relationship with? Isn't that, even in the old country, isn't that true? <clears throat> And so they have a hard time, people have a hard time coming to grips with Kirat. So she's seeking an apology. Alexi, the interviewer, seeking a motive, but a motive from the perpetrator who he doesn't know. He- let's just draw, let's just make the analogy. It's, it reminds me, of course, of, um, you know, people who have died from from drug overdoses. And the, the idea is, well, why did uh, pharmaceutical companies push these drugs and how just how strong were these drugs but nobody's trying to think about you know helpful helpful life enhancers in a wide community it's an exact nobody's thinking idea. about how can you build people up i said somebody told me that ethan i've never heard him use the term drugism which is sort of blaming all the problems on the drug and just to show how parallel love addiction is they're blaming and drug dealers or pharmaceutical companies. Here they blame it all in that podcast I talked about. They're blaming it all on love in the brain or on the perpetrator who's sort of the drug seller in this story. And, the, you know, the, the funny – I'm sorry for interrupting. Oh, I Well, it just – you started telling the story, and I pretty much locked in what the motive was. You know, the person wants to make money. They're not really caring. They're trying to be sort of sociopathic about it. Like they, they don't care about this person. They just want the money. Uh, so I'm done with that. You know, I'm well, not. I'm not as interested. Why would in that. you go to that guy and start asking him to give you his explanations, which are always going to be total self gratifying bullshit? Mm-hmm. It's like whatever you want to call him. You know, oh, you know, we have a million terms for that: sociopath, psychopath. Um, know lacking empathy you know we have a million terms for that but they're all about not that he's that that's his he's like a rapist he's a gig that's his gig right at least in the swindler case it actually made more sense well he got ego gratification but that was the way he made a living in this crazy case woman perpetrator and eventually oh by the end of the podcast alexi the announcer says she did lose her job i don't know what caused her to lose her job you know people maybe are saying you know what the hell it's sort of like you know governor andrew cuomo eventually had to resign at some point people say what's this person doing right can't have it we're not gonna have it working for us but you were i i think i interrupted you this time around you know and, and you're not interested in the motivation of the swindler because it's, you know, it's a self-centered money-making egotist, you know. I, I, I'm not interested enough that I would want, if I'm, I'm not going to listen to this podcast now. I'm not interested enough in the motivation of the, what is it, the catfisher, enough that I would want the show centered only on that. I really would, but I really do want to know more about this person's life and why 
she's vulnerable. And I don't think you lose any of the victimhood. I mean, the person still needs to be a victim of this. You don't take any of that away by wondering where were you in life? What made you think this is a good idea? Why continue it even though it was damaging your life? And so that seems valuable not only for her, but for people listening and wondering how to avoid this. I, really, I couldn't have put it as well as that or better than you. So I had exactly, I mean, I listened to the whole damn thing. And I felt, and it's very popular. I, I don't know, it's number one Apple podcast or something like that. And I'm thinking, well, this whole thing is going down the wrong trail and not being helpful. They never, they used the word that she had an obsession. Kira, okay. Mm. Thinking of it as an addiction, the way we think of it as an addiction in a life process program immediately makes us say, she became entangled in this overwhelming relationship to her own self-destruction during it and possibly well into the future. How did that plug into who she was and how can we rearrange her? This is, I'm not a reductionist, obviously, molecules. So that's not the human being that goes out in the world from here on. So this kind of internet catfishing, usually it's, it's often for the purpose of ego gratification for money, as in the Tinder swindler. You know, it's often for sex. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, I mean, one of the first questions you would ask is, so this person doesn't want sex. They they do everything they can to avoid meeting you. I mean, the first logical conclusion you have is, well, they're not who they say they are. They can't appear to you physically. And they, and they she never did Zoom where you, you could see her. So we're at the end of this particular podcast session where we're reflecting on the value, the crucialness of understanding a love addiction, the meaning of that concept and what it dictates in terms of understanding and help behavior and helping people to cope with their lives, their problems, their addictions, and their route forward in life. All right, Stanton, you gave me plenty to think about. I'm not listening to that podcast, though. I'm glad you did it for me.